0: And welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are going to discuss books that we've read while we're on vacation. So I just got back from a two week trip to my parents' house in Hilton Head. And the first week was partially working from there, but we were actually, our office was, or office, Our office can't be closed when not all of us are working from home, but you know what I mean. (laughs) The business was closed uh, for two days before the 4th of July, that Thursday and Friday. So it was only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that we were even working or I was working. So I ended up having a whole week and a half of no work, Oh my which was amazing. And I read so many books. So (laughs) I came back and
1: I said, Anne, can we do what we read on our summer vacation episode? And I said, yes, except the problem is that I have not been on a summer vacation. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what does one do? <laughs> what does one do? How did you so,
0: request? So I will say I picked books that I literally read a week ago
1: <laughs> that yeah. I
0: read on my vacation that I thought were good books to read on vacation. What? How did you pick your books?
1: So I, I don't read on vacation. That's my first problem um, because I don't go on any kind of restful vacation. I'm right. always... Um, visiting family if I go anyplace generally so um, and, and traveling internationally a lot and so I just don't have any of those moments of sitting by a pool or anything like that but I do have to get to those places and so the, the things that I picked are all things that I have used When I've been on an airplane or if I've been on a road trip so I still need things that are very light and easily digestible because I get um crazy legs on airplanes Mm -hmm. and and my mind tends to wander a lot if I'm kind of sitting too long so um so it sort of feels like the same types of books that you would want to read on a summer vacation so um even though these are not technically summer vacation books they are in the spirit of yeah I gotcha
0: yeah makes sense to me I um Yeah, I think we talked about that when we did our beach read episode, which to me, these books are exactly, basically the same thing we talked for me. Same thing we talked about in that episode, because I was literally at the beach on my vacation. But I think that um, they're all good books that you can kind of set down and pick back up and read in short bursts if that's the vacation that you have, or sit for several hours, beach, or if you are skiing and you're at the ski lodge or whatever I just think that these are kind of books to cozy up with yeah whether you're floating in a pool or wherever you are on an airplane whatever did
1: I I told you didn't I that my the last like big trip I took was kind of intending to read and it didn't happen at all did I tell you about that I don't think so 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 I went up to um I went to Christmas at my brothers in in Copenhagen and then I met up with my best friend and we did this a northern Sweden trip for New Year's and went to the ice hotel and part of what I wanted to do was was take a really long train ride and read in a snowy train landscape and I was so excited about it and then I just was too hopped up I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't do it and so I had purposely picked like the cabin we stayed in I picked something that had sort of a cute seating area so that we could sit and read because she was she's definitely a uh we we call it companionable silence kind of person mm. <laughs> where we both can have our own books and um it just didn't happen cuz i was with my best friend and of right. course we're in sweden and we're all excited and and so it didn't really pan out the way i thought but the the idea was yeah. a very sound one.
0: That is a very sound one. That's funny my sister my oldest sister and i have an ongoing joke about uh, when we are in Hilton Head together, our favorite thing to do is sit next to each other and not talk to each other because we sit outside and read. <laughs> yeah. And for her, she has two kids. They're older now, but uh, especially when they were younger, that was a good opportunity for her to read. It wasn't something she was able to do as easily at home when she was um, the main person watching the kids all day. It was So it was a break when she would come to Hilton Head and my parents could help watch the kids or the kids were entertained because there was the beach and all the pool and everything and so yeah. she did have more time so that's our our ongoing comment when we are both preparing to see each other in hilton head is we can't wait to see each other and sit next to
1: each other and not talk <laughs> totally totally i so i identify with that yes. except i'm i'm someone who's who's always saying oh i i don't I don't have anything to say. I'm, I'm excited to see you, but I don't really, ha- I, I'm excited for the companionable silence. And then I'm always the person that ends up talking <laughs> yeah. the most. Well, so. I will say this time it happened too, she,
0: she was in, She both my sisters were in helmet. It was super fun. Um, But she, the first day we usually don't stick to it that, that well because we do have a lot to yeah. catch up on. And, and so we will, often break in and and start talking about something and put our books down but if we're there for a while with each other we do ultimately end up doing that um yeah we just sit and we in companionable silence like you said all right well i don't know that this topic really needs that much more of an introduction i think we could probably just go ahead and start talking about the books we want to talk about so what's your first one
1: um so the first book i'm talking about is the eight by Catherine neville we haven't talked about doing a, a an episode about books I stole from my parents, but this would be one that I I would include in that. So I might be angry later on if we ever do a topic like that. Um, But this is, I used to say this was my favorite book um, of my teens probably because I've read it many times and it sort of opened my eyes to what genre fiction could be. Um, So it's a historical thriller and it has kind of a, a more literary tone, even though it still has that fast moving pace of a, of a, any kind of thriller. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the type of book that I wanted the, the Da Vinci Code to be. Um, but this one came out in 1988. And it's the first that I know of this kind of genre. I, I don't, I haven't done any research on that. So I don't know <laughs> if that's true. But it's definitely, you know, 15 years or or something before the Da Vinci Code. You know, when when Dan Brown was writing his books, I was all excited about that. And then I'm I've, didn't like it as much as the eight. So um, this one is, is still top of my list. So it takes place in two time periods. And the first one starts out in uh, France, just before the French Revolution. And um, there are two novice nuns named Murray and Valentine who are given a mission by their abbess to protect um, what's called the Monglan, I want to say. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Monglan service. And it's an ancient chess set that is thought to have mystical, mystical properties, and it can give power to anyone who owns it. So... Th- the abbess feels like it needs to be kept safe during the revolution because there's just too much upheaval. Um, and she doesn't know what could happen with that. So she has distributed the pieces amongst the nuns of the, um, of the Abbey, I guess. And um, then sends Murray and Valentine to Paris to sort of serve as a collection point for anyone who needs to protect their pieces. If, if something is in danger of happening to them. But of course, Paris is also the center of the revolution. So it's um, a dangerous mission at the very least and maybe a catastrophic one um, based on their location. So then the second uh, time period is in the 1970s and it is about a computer analyst named Kat Veles and she's an American who is assigned to work in Algeria um, working for the government there. And I can't remember actually who she works for, I don't remember, but um, but she's in Algeria. And before she goes, her, her best friend, Harry, uh, throws her a going away party and he hires a fortune teller who tells her of uh, the imminent danger that's ahead of her and has this very mysterious message for her that she kind of can't shake off. So um, somehow when she's in Algeria, I don't remember... How this happens because it's been too long since I read it, but she meets up with Harry's daughter Lily, who is a chess master, and they attend this high-profile chess match match together that is between a Russian named Solorin and a British man um uh, whose last name is Fisk. And before the match can start, Fisk dies, and Cat and Lily are threatened and have to escape this danger that they're they're now in, and. Um, they become involved with Solerin, and he is very intense and, and handsome, and together they have to find out who targeted this chess match and why, and of course it all revolves around the Mongolian service. So um, the story, um, as it's alternating between these two time periods, has both sets of women on these quests that uh, end up incorporating historical figures into the plot, like um, uh Bach and Catherine the Great, and I think Alexander Hamilton shows up at one point, or or the idea of him. Um, and so it's fun because it reframes known history, known historical fact, as if it's part of this quest. And I just, I am a sucker for anything like that. So it really does have something for everyone because it has um, a little bit of romance. And then it also has all these different sides of knowledge and, and trivia and um it has mythology and music and technology and it's it's just really really fun to to see how um catherine neville fits this all together um I, I think i've said in other episodes that i was a humanities major and i've always loved how all of you know history and the arts and philosophy and everything fits together and i've never been able to pick one thing that i'm i'm just interested in you know, to major in. So I did it all. And this is the first book that I had ever read that really pulled from lots of different disciplines to um, to create a plot like that. And so it's kind of just a, a thriller for nerds. Um, I think it would be perfect for any long plane ride you would be on or perfect for the beach. Um, it's, it's pretty long. I, I can't remember the page number, but a good, you know, 400 pages, I would say. And the plot is really engaging. And it's it's just a really fun ride. So that is The Eight by Catherine Neville. I remember the cover of that book so
0: clearly. My parents also owned that book. And <gasps> I picked it up as a teenager. I don't think I ever actually read it, though. I think it was one that I thought I should read or something. But I don't think I ever actually read it. But it was intriguing. There, It was like a the one we had was a black cover. And it had like a multicolored 8 on it, I think, yeah, I remember, yeah, or yeah. at least something like that. So, the, yeah. yeah, infinity. Like an infinity thing, symbol, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, but, anyway, it sounds fantastic. I should pick it up
1: now. Yeah, it's really fun. I, I When I was looking at, at um Goodreads to, to write my review to kind of refresh my memory, then lots of people gave it really bad reviews. But all of those people said it's not as good as the Da Vinci Code. So oh. I think maybe it's just to each their own right and like
0: the, the pacing is probably slower a book that yeah. was
1: published in the 80s I would imagine oh think, for sure yeah
0: the pacing may have been a little bit more so um yeah. speaking of Hamilton real quickly the other thing I did other than float around in the swimming <laughs> pool with my books on vacation is I watched Hamilton on Disney of Plus and it did. was awesome
1: did you watch it the day it came out or did you wait no we
0: watched it a couple of days later um so as I mentioned my sisters were there too so we one morning we drank coffee and we watched Hamilton and it was great <laughs> it was like my dream vacation um all right so my first one is one to watch by kate stamen london and i feel like i've been seeing this book a lot of places on social media in particular yeah, yeah so um you may have already you may be familiar with it already um but it's about a woman named b who is a plus-sized fashion blogger and she has a pretty good life she um has a, a great family. Um, they live far away, though. They live in Ohio, and she lives in LA. Um, she has this great career that she's built, where she um, blogs about fashion and pop culture, and she puts together these great outfits and she takes pictures of them. And um, it's very, uh, it's a very body positive blog, and so she gets a lot of um, good interaction with her followers because of that. So she has a very um, satisfying life. She has this great best friend who is a wonderful. Uh, side character in the book. Um, But the one aspect she struggles with is her romantic life. Uh, For years, she has been in love with a friend of hers who she met when she was in her 20s. And he's always given her indications that maybe he's interested in her, but then um, he's never really pursued her and will do things to really like mix up her her brain like she you know he gives her mixed signals um and now he is engaged to somebody else he lives elsewhere and has gotten engaged to somebody else and so one night he reaches out to her he's going to be in la and he suggests that they get together um and they do and they have this great evening together and it's like all their chemistry that they have with each other is is there and he starts making comments about how important she is to him and they end up sleeping together that night and then he leaves before she wakes up and doesn't doesn't say anything to her or anything and just leaves. And so um, she's confused, as you would imagine she might be. And she reaches out to him by text and email and sort of like, I really think we need to talk about this. And he just flat out ignores her. And so she's pretty heartbroken over this. Um, But she's also kind of used to being treated this way by him. And then she there's a TV show called Main Squeeze that is sort of – (laughs) it's like a a direct – correlation to um, The Bachelor, and she watches it kind of as a hate watch, kind of as an enjoying it watch, Um, and she'll tweet about it, and she'll post about it on her blog, and one night she's had a little bit to drink as she's watching, and she writes um, this scathing blog post about the lack of diversity on the show, both um, like cultural diversity, uh, body diversity, just like everybody looks the same uh, on Mm -hmm. however many seasons of the show that they've had. The show has been declining in ratings and the creator of the show has also come under fire for some allegations about bad behavior on set. So they've had a bit of a changeover in uh, the, produ- the producer of the show. And so the new producer is a woman and she reaches out to B and suggests that sh- that B should be the next bachelorette basically, the, b- the next main squeeze. And B is sort of like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I am not the typical person that is on the show. And the producer says, no, this is exactly the reason you should be on the show. You know, you were talking about um, we don't have a diversity of, um, of any type. And so if you come on, you're going to be this great example that uh, you can be any size and still find love. And, and then she makes the case that even if B isn't interested in finding love, at least it will help her career and she will get more notoriety and it will really boost her career and so B is kind of into that part of it so she's still heartbroken over Ray her friend um sort of disappearing from her life and she thinks okay I can do this like if I go into it with the expectation that um I know it's all kind of made up and it's 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 not really gonna result in love but it'll be good for my career and I'll be able to show people that um you know, I'm accepting of myself and all this stuff. Like, this is going to be a good opportunity. So then you get to follow along as you're reading that as she goes on this show and she has, I mean, it's just like The Bachelor. Like, if you've ever watched <laughs> The Bachelor, she has 25 suitors, um, some of whom are there uh, in hopes of actually finding love, some of whom are really just there for some camera time. None of them know who that she is going to be The Bachelor, or excuse me, The Bachelorette. There's a whole lot of, surprise when they are first introduced on that first night that that she looks the way she does and that she's a plus sized woman but it's a really it's a really fun mix of the bachelor aspects of it but also it it deals a lot with um her self-doubt and like when she first gets on the show she almost can't believe that any of the all of the guys even though there's some racial diversity, they're all, like, very attractive, very fit guys for the most part. And they very much typically look like what would typically be on the show. And she's like, these guys are not here for me. Like, in the real world, they would never look at me twice. They wouldn't be interested. So she has a lot of, of doubt that she has to overcome and sort of, like... The acceptance that she needs to gain for herself to be like, oh, wait, there are some good guys here. There are some really nice guys, and um, there might be the possibility. So, uh, and then as you would guess, as it goes along, she does start developing real feelings for some of these people. And um, it isn't just about increasing her public profile and, and boosting her career. So, it's definitely got some romantic elements. Um, but I wouldn't really consider it a romance just because it's really about more about her coming to terms with her life um, and what she wants out of her life. And also dealing with the heartbreak that her best friend or not her best friend, but her friend, Ray left her with and like deal with those feelings of why she put up with it for so long that she was basically in love with somebody who wasn't reciprocating her feelings. So um, I thought it was just an ideal vacation read. It's very charming. It's very funny. It's got a lot of humor to it. It's got these great descriptions of her outfits and the locales <laughs> that they go to. And I just thought it was so much fun. It's getting great, great reviews. I don't think I'm alone
1: in recommending it. So that's One to Watch by Kate Stame in london yeah, that's that's one I've been excited about, and I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it. Uh-uh. It, it just sounds like, um, you know, there are so many Bachelor and Bachelorette fans, yeah. and there are lots of people that will eat this up. So Yeah,
0: and I will say, I don't think you absolutely need to be a Bachelorette fa- fan or even have watched it to enjoy it. I think you could enjoy the book as its own story. Right. I just think that if you have watched The Bachelorette, you kind of like – chuckle at some of the things that they do in the book because it's so so real as far as what they would really do on the show so it's sort of like that show unreal
1: yeah 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 where
0: um i think you know you can watch it and enjoy it without having seen the original thing it's based on but um there's just some like kind of easter eggs buried there for the people who have seen it
1: that's what my my uh, I was just talking to a friend last night who is a huge Bachelor fan and just read that book and really loved it. And she said it's it's exactly like that where yeah. there are things for the insiders, but it's not beholden to them either.
0: Yeah, it's just like a good chiclet story that happens to be set on this thing that we know and that's yeah. in pop culture. kind of thing. Yeah,
1: that sounds killer fun. Yes, it was. Okay, my next book is Undead and Unwed by Mary Janice Davidson. And this is an author I used to listen to when I was driving, um, when I was in grad school. So I used to live in Bloomington, Indiana, and my sister lives in Akron, Ohio, and it's like a six-hour drive, and it's extremely boring because it is flat. And, um, not other than hitting a couple of cities along the way there's just not a lot to see so I used to check out a big stack of audiobooks from the library and I would just blindly choose them and then put something in um I just this is when I had a a car with a cd player and so that's how I ended up listening to this and it ended up being just the perfect thing for driving because it's very very light and very funny and the audiobook narrator is Nancy Wu and she Um, just carries the whole story so well she gives it so much enthusiasm and humor and um, it just feels very tongue-in-cheek the whole time it it actually kind of reminds me of um, uh, Catherine Kelgren who did My Lady Jane as as far as her how much she's leaning into kind of the ridiculousness of all these scenarios which Mm -hmm. the authors are as well but she she really taps into it with her narration so um, it's it's pretty fun that way so um surprisingly for me because these neither of these are my genres it is a chiclet uh paranormal romance (laughs) so right
0: (laughs) three words that i don't think of when i think of your reading tapes
1: i know but the thing is is that i definitely have a soft spot in my heart for this era of publishing kind Mm -hmm. of in the mid to late 2000s -hmm. because it was the end of chiclet um as a phenomenon right and sort of the height of the vampire phenomenon and so this merges them and it was also right at the time that I was in grad school and I really was starting to think about genre and what sets them apart and so before that I was I was always a mystery reader but I read classics and a lot of literary stuff and then when I got to um and, and frankly look down on everything else and so then I started grad school as a librarian and I always had thought of myself as being a really broad reader but I wasn't until I started to study it. And I, I I respected everything more, which is, is, you know, a terrible knock on myself for how stupid I was for so many (laughs) years. But so this, this just reminds me of that era. So part of it's very nostalgia filled for me. But everyone knows that that cover that mass market paperback with the very cartoony cover, of like a woman with fancy shoes, like that's, that's this book, but, but kind of making fun of it in a little bit, not making fun of it in a, in a mean way, but just aware of itself of, of what it's trying to do. So it kind of was the perfect fit for me of, of wanting to indulge in it, but not, not taking itself too seriously too. So, um, so I I have fond memories of that era. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the main character is named Betsy Taylor and she feels sorry for herself because she is 30 and single and she has lost her job. And on the same day, she is hit by an SUV and she dies. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And she wakes up in a funeral parlor dressed in a terrible suit and off-brand shoes. And that is the thing that she thinks is the lowest point are the, the off-brand <laughs> the <suit>. shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she ends up wandering. She leaves somehow um, from from uh, the the mortuary. And she um, ends up wandering around Minneapolis where she lives. And she's trying to figure out what's going on because she remembers this this accident and she um while she's out she sees a robbery in progress and she ends up killing the the men um i think they're they're robbing a a mother and daughter and they're talking about doing worse and so she kills them and then she's horrified by by what she's done and so she tries to kill herself but she can't and then she reads she realizes that she's a vampire and she just accepts it she's she's cool with it So she goes to her family to reveal herself and her mother and her best friend are thrilled that she's alive. But her stepmother is really upset because now she has to give back the designer shoe collection that she had taken (laughs) after Betsy's death. So she decides that she can use her powers for good and that she will fight crime in the city. But she is threatened by the current ruling vampire, Nostro, who is afraid of Betsy because she can be out in the sunlight and she's not controlled by her thirst for blood like all the typical vampire things she's not afraid of, of religious items that kind of stuff and so he knows that she fits the description of the prophesied queen of the vampires so really this first book is kind of a setup for um how she has to learn to be a vampire and she's trying to have the her past relationships with her family and friends and make new friends and she has all of these new vampire acquaintances that she um, now is a part of their world but she doesn't know any of the rules like they do so she so one of these these people is a, a handsome uh vampire named Sinclair and she can't stand him but they she also can't stop thinking about him because he's very dreamy this is a very steamy book <laughs> <laughs> and it is not romantic at all it is just steamy okay. um so I was really surprised when I I first listened to it um so be forewarned if that's um, something you're not into. I I thought it was pretty obvious when sex scenes were coming up, and so I could skip stuff if I wasn't comfortable with it. But um, if that's not your thing, just be aware <laughs> of that with this book because uh, from the cover, I just thought it would be like clothes and mm-hmm. goofy situations, and it's pretty steamy. So um, they can be sneaky with that sort of. thing. They really can be. I've I, there are many that I've I've read that I have been surprised by yeah. so and um, listening for some reason is worse i think
0: it's yeah harder. It can, harder to skim easily
1: yeah it, it kind of depends for me because sometimes i can just skip ahead yeah you know 30 uh, seconds by 30 seconds, seconds and i'm fine so it, it i remember when i listened to this it, it wasn't a problem after like the lead up was so obvious by yeah. her voice that it it wasn't a problem at all, but, um, but I definitely wouldn't recommend this to many, many people in my life. Uh, if they're listening, they know who they are. Uh, so, uh, as you said, I should not have liked this. <laughs> um, I've, I've definitely had my prejudices against Chicklet because of, of um, how I think it has portrayed women and, and I kind of struggle with that a little bit, but what I like about this book is that it, it really celebrated that um that aspect of like the shallow main character and her arrogance and, and stuff that sort of drove me nuts in other um, Chicklet books I I had, had read before or listened to typically, um, and it really leaned into all of that and it was it was mining it for humor and that really made me laugh uh, so many times when I was listening to this I laughed out loud and there are all these really fun side characters and they're they're really snarky um, there's one character who isn't susceptible to Betsy's mind control tactics and uh, so he refers to her exclusively in vampire cliches and it just it didn't take itself seriously and it it was just so much fun so um there's really snappy dialogue there's tons of plot it's it's really fast moving and so this is the perfect thing to hold your attention when you're on a long drive so that is undead and unwed by um mary janice davidson and i i know the series is over now but there's many books in this series like I want to say 10 at least, mm-hmm. probably more than that. So, Well, and it um, sounds
0: familiar, or it sounds similar to um, Dorinda Jones, the yeah. Charlie Davidson book. So it sounds like maybe if you like one, you would like the other one.
1: Yeah, and it feels like during that period there were a lot of variations on this, so mm-hmm. some some a little less tongue-in-cheek than others, but that that sort of like young female vampire um on the on the verge of being chick lit right. is is was a thing for so a while. A so a while. it's pretty fun. That's so fun. That's one maybe I'll listen
0: to. That sounds like a yeah, good light I'm, I'm read.
1: Glad I got over myself.
0: <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Yeah.
1: All right.
0: So my next one is Little Secrets by Jennifer Hill Hillier or Hillier. I'm not sure how you say her last name. Um and it's a thriller. So I'm going to be very cautious about how much I share I went into this book not knowing one thing about it I did not read the flap copy I didn't know one thing and I think that really helps because restraint well yeah I just I don't know I had it I was like this looks good I'll read it I read her previous book and really liked it so I was like okay well I just felt like I was in the mood for a thriller and so I thought well I'll try this the way I read on vacation it's like I read a book in a day So you know so it's not great I'm moving on to something else hours later, so it doesn't feel as much like a commitment. But anyway, so I think that um, I'll give you just the basic kind of outline of the premise of the book, but I think it really um, benefits the reader to not know much about what happens beyond the setup. So just to prepare you. Um, The book opens with a woman named uh, Marin Machado, and she lives in Seattle, and she's at the busy, uh, was it Pike's oh Pike's Place Market Pike's Place Market yes thank you and it's right before Christmas so it is jam packed full of people she is stressed about getting everything done that she needs to get done before Christmas Um, and her son is with her I think he's three or four like four and uh he keeps asking she has promised him a lollipop that's at one of the stands at the market to pacify him basically to like you know stick with her through all these errands that she has to do and so he keeps asking her you know, can we go get it can we go get it and so it's she's just her nerves are frayed she's just ready to be done with everything that she has to do and she is distracted for a second by a phone call and when she turns around her son has disappeared And she's frantically looking for him, can't find him. The police are called. uh, They can't find him. Nobody remembers seeing him. And um, they check some surveillance video. And the surveillance video shows her son walking out of the market hand in hand with someone who is dressed in a Santa Claus costume. Um, And and Maren is confident. She's like, this is somebody... Even though he's dressed in a Santa Claus costume, this is somebody he had to know because he, we have so imparted the stranger danger concept in his brain that he wouldn't leave with somebody that he didn't know. And so she is uh, devastated, of course. And uh, then the book jumps to about a year and a half later and her son hasn't been found and the FBI have basically not given up, it's still an open case, but they've hit all dead ends they have nowhere to go with the investigation Um, and so she hires a private investigator to continue searching for his her for her son and has has made the private investigator promise her that she will never give up and and Maren says i will keep paying you as long as it takes but please keep searching for my son Um, and at this point Maren and her husband are barely speaking um, his the child's disappearance has put a huge strain on their relationship they're just in a really bad place emotionally And the private investigator calls her one day and says, I need to talk to you. I have discovered that um, your husband is having an affair. So Marin turns all of her pain and anguish that she's feeling over her son's disappearance towards this other woman who has entered her son's or excuse me, her husband's life. Um, And she she's like, this woman is the root of all of our problems right now. She wants revenge on this person. And the story really quickly spirals um, as Maren loses control of an already very tenuous situation that she is trying to enact some revenge on this woman. So. Again, I don't want to say too much because I think a lot of the reading enjoyment comes from the surprises, Um, but it's very fast-paced, lots of twists and turns. Um, Like many thrillers, you're not always sure who's telling the truth or who you can trust, Uh, and it's it's just a very intense read, and I loved it. I thought it was a great, great vacation kind of read, and that is Little Secrets
1: by Jennifer Hillier. That sounds super good. It was good. I really thought it was great. I, so the book I'm going to talk about is kind of the same thing where I can't go too far mm-hmm. in, in it because there are giant spoilers with plot points um, that I also sort of have to talk about. <laughs> so I'm not sure how to how to handle it, but I'll do my best on this. Um, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> uh, so my my last book is Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica oh, Nolan. Oh, I've read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean then. yep. <laughs> Yeah. so this is i think have every book i talked oh no that just the first two books had alternating time period things yeah. but um there's a lot of that in this episode so <laughs> um so the book starts um focused on a young powerful magazine editor named ani and she goes her name is spelled a and i but she goes by ani and um She's she's one of those people that is constantly correcting everyone on how to pronounce her name. And she has the best of everything. Let and... me interrupt you
0: <laughs> because that says so much about a person because I have a name that is often mispronounced. Right. So I have thoughts about a person who has a unique pronunciation well, of a commonly spelled name who is, right. like, takes offense when people mispronounce right. it because I'm like... It's Annie. Like people would look at right. that and think it's Annie. Anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> right. It's so it's it's funny because I know I know that you as as someone whose name is often not mispronounced but misspelled, like yeah. you can you can be nice about it yeah. or you can be not nice about right. it. And exactly. she's definitely not right. at all nice about it. I think that's it. such
0: a good character, like yeah, little it's character such a great note
1: that that conveys so much by Totally putting totally. that as her character, yeah. And you and yeah, you know exactly the type of person she's going to be, um, by how often she's saying things about how to pronounce her name. Yeah. So she,, um, she really has the best of everything in her life. Um, she's engaged to a finance guy who has a really great pedigree, and she's planning this basically the wedding of the season. and it's not so much to show, her great commitment to this man, it's that she wants to make people envious and she's really just interested in displaying their wealth and their status. And she's just awful to everyone. And and like actively awful, not just passive (laughs) in her, in her way. I know those are, uh, you know, I, you could take what I meant from it, from the first thing I said, but she, she, I think at one point she like, it's been a while since I read this, but I think she purposely gets Gets ink on someone's pants just to be a jerk. Like she's just that kind of person. Yeah. Um, but she she feels like because she's one of the one percent that this is sort of her her um, birthright, I guess. But but just that's what she that's what she's entitled to in her life. And so she does these things also because she wants to keep people from a distance or at a distance because this isn't her birthright. This is. Um, a new personality that she's come up with and she actually has a secret past as a middle-class girl named Tiffany from um the suburbs of Philadelphia the the part that's um called the main line where it's it's all a very wealthy area of uh, just outside of Philadelphia so she starts um and I think if I'm remembering right if you you can correct me I think she's not very well to do yeah I I, I, I think that's right yeah and and so she's going to this very elite high school, and so she's trying to to make friends with the popular kids and and sort of um, elevate her social standing. But she also has made friends on the first day with two less popular boys named uh, Liam and Arthur, and they were nice to her from the the beginning. And so she's she's kind of trying to move between these two groups and and sort of at um, a little bit of at war with herself of what is the right thing to do in this the situation. So. Um, So Ani doesn't want to remember any of this, but she's forced to grapple with it when she's contacted by someone who's doing a documentary about an incident that she was involved in at the school. And um, it's kind of teased what this, this thing is. And she's desperate to show in this documentary that she's a new person and she's very successful. And so this alternates between the two plots and it shows that Ani isn't really okay with her life as she's trying to appear and that there are many secrets from high school that she will do anything to keep. So this came out um, kind of in the go- post-Gone Girl uh, phase of of psychological suspense. But I don't really think it's like that, even though it was compared to it quite a bit. Um, but it is very a, a, a very thoughtful psychological suspense novel. I, I, when I was looking at Goodreads, there was one reviewer who called it both intelligent and trashy, <laughs> which is very much up my alley. <laughs> um, but it does have, like Gone Girl, it has a very um kind of love to hate her Mm -hmm. unlikable protagonist which is fun um so the reason i can't go very far into this book which i think i said enough anyway but i sort of have to give trigger warnings um because there are some very traumatic things that happen in the book but i can't say what they are because they are spoilers to literally everything every secret so um if you're worried about anything like that there's plenty of information online where you can you can look things up um but the author has also given a lot of interviews about the choices that she's made that made a lot of sense to me, um, based on her own life. And so I don't think that the things that she's, uh, writing about are, I didn't feel like they were gratuitous, uh, when I was reading it, but, um, but just be forewarned. So um, this is a book I actually read when I was uh, uh, visiting a friend in London, and that is not the time to be up too late reading. Oh, gosh, no. Because <laughs> you, need, you need your stamina when right. you're running around. Right. And this definitely kept me up past my bedtime because you just need to know what happened. So, yeah, this is um, such a page-turner. It's a page-turner. Such it was very fun. So sh- that is Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll.
0: She is super unlikable, but... Yes, part of the appeal of the book in a weird way yeah
1: yeah it's it's kind of what we talk about all the time every episode we love obnoxious rich people so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh, my next book or my last book is the
0: idea of you by and I didn't write her the author's name down Robin Lee I believe is the author's name and this came uh, on my radar from Grace Atwood's Instagram Grace Atwood is a very successful in- influencer like her whole job is just to do social media um do you know who she is Anne? i think so no nah. she um she talks a lot about books and so she she talks about lots of different kind of lifestyle things but generally the people that i like the best to follow on social media that i don't know in real life are the people who talk about books <laughs> <is> yeah <your laughs> guess given my interest um, and so she was so enthusiastic about this book in fact she has uh, she has a podcast called Bat on Paper with another woman um, and they do a book club every month where they p- pick a book to discuss in their, I think they have a Facebook group or something like that. But anyway, um, so several months ago they picked this book and that It was just, people seem to just absolutely love this book. So I thought, well, I have to read this. What is it? <laughs> um, and it came out a couple of years ago. I think it was 2018, maybe a little, maybe 2017. Uh, and the premise is that there's a woman named Solène Marchand, and she's 39 and divorced. Um, and they have a daughter together that they co-parent. And her husband, at the very last minute, backs out of a trip that he was supposed to take their daughter and three of her friends on to Las Vegas. They live in LA um, and they were going, they had, he had bid on at some charity auction on this, um, this whole concert event in Las Vegas for this very, very famous boy band. Who's her daughter's absolutely famous or favorite group, excuse me. And there was a, going to be a meet and greet. And then they got to see the concert from these great seats. And so he backs out at the last minute and she has to take her daughter and her friends and she is not thrilled about this she was looking forward to a weekend alone she doesn't really like vegas she isn't super excited about going with a bunch of tween girls to this boy band concert but she does it because she knows that um, her daughter is so excited about it so she takes them and the girls are all excited about it and they get to go to this meet and greet and the whole band is there and um Solon is pretty impressed with how friendly and nice the guys are they're all British it's a it's sort of the way they market themselves is they're like prep school boy band kind of thing like they're like the (laughs) upper upper crust kind of boy band um and the there's one she's particularly interest, or impressed by. His name is Hayes. He's the one who formed the band. And he seems to take a little bit of an interest in her. He's immediately kind of flirty with her as they're walking through the meet and greet line. And, and she's just she she's sort of like yeah you're cute whatever you're half my age um and he invites them to the a party after the concert and so len agrees to take the girls so that they can see the band a little bit more and when they're at this after party they flirt a little bit more and um and he he is able to get out of her where she works um because she owns an art gallery and so she laughs again like laughs off his attention because she just thinks He's, like, 20. Like, and she's almost 40. It's just, it's just funny. And um, she returns home to L.A. And a couple of days later, he reaches out to her at the art gallery and says he's going to be in town and wants to know if they can have lunch together. So she thinks, OK, we can have lunch. But when they get together, the chemistry is really undeniable. And she's intrigued by him. And despite knowing that there is really no future in their relationship, she thinks, well, maybe, you know, if he's going to pursue me, I'll, I'll kind of see where this goes. Um, but she knows her daughter would be devastated, so she doesn't intend for it to be um, any sort of a, a big thing. She just is going to s- see what happens if um, it starts with them kind of meeting up in places where they're both going to happen to be at the same time. He is on tour with his band. Uh, as I said, she's in the art world, so she goes around to different art shows. So if uh, their next meeting, I think, is in um, New York maybe they're both in New York and so they they meet up because they're both there but pretty soon um, they're actually making plans to see each other she's flying to visit him wherever he is on tour and their their feelings start to deepen Um, part of this is that Solana is trying to keep him at arm's length because she's fairly certain that she is not the only woman in uh, Hayes's life that he is paying attention to and he makes it clear that that's probably the case he doesn't deny when they're together that um, that they're are other women in other places uh, but she really does enjoy being with him and, and she she finds him funny and fun to be around and interesting and smart and he has a lot of ambition and, and she's she likes the attention too she's fairly recently divorced and hasn't really dated much and so she likes being with somebody who is so enamored of her. The story kind of plays out from there and you can see that their involvement becomes more serious than either of them imagine. And they kind of have to figure out what to do with that because uh, they both went into it with different expectations than what it's turning out to be. So much like your second book, this book is incredibly steamy. This is not I did not expect it when I was going in to um, the reading experience but it is definitely one to be aware of if you are sensitive at all to that I uh, would say there's a fair bit of um, open door uh, content as we would say in the library world like in (laughs) romances do you want to keep the door closed or are you okay with the door open when romantic times are happening Um, this is definitely open door um, but if you're okay with that or sometimes people read specifically for that sort of thing um, I think you'll really enjoy this it's just a really good um, sort of Thought-provoking love story because you think about if it were a forty-year-old man with a twenty-year-old girl, I don't think anyone would give it a second thought. But because the genders are reversed, people have have definite opinions about it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of commentary about ageism and sexism in um, the art world that that Solan is in and the entertainment world um, that that he is in. So it was a really just a really. Good story. I couldn't put it down. Uh, I could understand why Grace Atwood was singing its praises. It was, um, it was kind. It was a not the, not a story I had read before, and I've read a lot of books, so that's kind of saying something. <laughs> uh, definitely not a love story I had read before, um, and so that is a, the idea of you by I believe Robin Lee. I yeah, I looked that. it up, and you did okay.
1: It's R O B I N N E. Yes, and she's actually an actress. She has been oh.
0: in. Uh, movies and tv shows i believe so this is her only book uh, as far as i know
1: okay um somehow i have just read about this book but i know it wasn't through you and huh. i don't know where it was from because as once you started talking i'm like oh yeah i know this whole plot but how do i know it well weird it's it missing. came out
0: two or three years ago
1: right yeah i would have thought it would be something that was like a blurb somewhere but hmm. i don't know that's strange you'll have to find out yeah, I'll, oh, I'll think about it a little bit more. It <laughs> sounds really interesting. Yeah, it
0: was, it was, I have to say, it was very
1: good. It was very, very good. It took me by surprise.
0: I thought, I thought, again, like, oh, fun vacation read, read about yeah. a boy band, you an older woman. But it was, it was more, there was more depth there than I expected there to be. Also more sex there than I expected there to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, we'll be right back with what we're reading this week.
1: All right, Anne, what are you reading this week? This week I am listening to Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal, and it is Pride and Prejudice in Pakistan because I, I love Jane Austen. have so good. It's so much fun. Um, so I started listening to this because the author was set to appear at the Louisville Jane Austen Festival that um, I went to last year and was really excited to go to this year, but it was canceled in person, and so they did the whole thing virtually um, and actually did a really, really good job with it. So my sister that um, – I went to, to this last year with, um, she and I got on our, um, like we watched things on our laptops, but then we were messaging each other on our phones at the same time. And so even though she's in Arizona, it's still, we still kind of got to have a a sister weekend, which was really nice. So, um, so we both listened to this, um, to prep for, for the festival and, Lee finished it, but I didn't because I get distracted by other things. So I'm in the middle of it now, but I'm really enjoying it, and I really enjoyed her at the festival. Everything she said was was just so engaging and really um, thought-provoking and, and definitely worth the, the time of the weekend devoted to, to listening to her. So she said that when she read Pride and Prejudice at 16, she thought that Jane Austen had to be Pakistani because she captured the cultural issues and the family relationships that Sonia Kamal was dealing with at that age so perfectly. So she said that that um, Pakistan has a very marriage-obsessed society and that mothers are constantly trying to make the best matches for their daughters and it's very wealth and money-focused and there is very little autonomy for women over their own lives. Um, and, and as you get older and you're not married, then you become a burden on your family if you're not married. And those are... All taken straight from Jane Austen, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um so it was a really interesting comparison that she was making. so her book she set in uh 2000, the year two thousand so they're flip phones, which are fun, mm-hmm. and it's about uh a young woman who I think is she's in her early thirties at this point um and her name is Alice Banat, and she teaches English at a girls' school and um, as their teacher, she's trying to help them understand that there's more to life than marriage, but she's considered the black sheep of her family, and her mother is very upset that she um, thinks that Alice is never going to get married. Um, and I should also say that Jane Austen exists in this world, too. It's She teaches Jane Austen. She teaches Pride and Prejudice. And so it's really interesting to sort of have this parallel, uh, like usually a retelling you... it's just the retelling and and Jane Austen isn't a thing in that world and this one it is. So that's kind of a fun fun take on it. So their family has fallen from social status after the father's brother cheated them out of the family inheritance and so they don't have a much of a chance of making any kind of proper prosperous marriage at this point but mrs Banat is doing her best to make this happen so the whole family goes to a lavish wedding in their small town and she decks everyone out the best that she can so she makes everyone sort of fake uh wear designer clothing like um gives the impression that it's designer without actually having that label on it Mm -hmm. um, because she knows that's important and so she intends for Alice and the old, uh, her oldest daughter, Jenna, to go home engaged from this wedding to someone that they meet at the wedding, because in her own life, she was proposed to at first sight by Mr. Banat, and that didn't exactly pan out the way that they had, had wanted to based on their initial attraction. But Jenna does meet a man named Fahad Bingla, and he is obviously very taken with her, but they don't get engaged, and Alice isn't impressed with his his fe- his with his friend Valentine Darcy and she thinks he's rude and arrogant but through the wedding celebrations they're thrown together a lot and they do find a common love of literature and they both are very um, intelligent and clearly think and see the world uh, kind of in the same way but they just can't get over their issues with each other so um, I don't need to recount the entire plot of Pride and Prejudice for you but all the characters are there in, in the book uh, so they play similar roles but they're um, all updated for Pakistani culture. So you have the Mr. Collins character, but this time he's a widower who just wants someone to be a mother to his children and needs to get re- married for that reason. And Charlotte Lucas is a character who's in her 40s and living at home, and her brothers are are already resenting her and really feels that burden um, in her her life. So one thing that I, I really uh, thought was great about this is is that the best Austen retellings keep the themes and then look at how they play out in the, re- in the real world in, in the current world, but they don't try to do a 100% retelling. And it's the the retellings that try to do every single plot point that, um, mm-hmm. that just don't work. It, it, it doesn't work <laughs> at all. Um, so this one I thought really sticks to the plot, but it really nails all those updates to a different cultures norms. And it feels very light and rom commy at the same time, which, which is um she's talking about some pretty serious things but it really has a a nice tone Mm -hmm. um so the the reason that lee and i were so excited about this is uh, about Sonia kamal speaking um after she finished we were like we're such big fans of hers because she said in the presentation that she wanted to do this book because english is her first language and the authors of the english canon are her canon but she's so often excluded from those discussions because of how she's perceived by the color of her skin and so she wanted to claim Jane Austen as her own just as much as she belongs to any white English speaker and so we cried when she yeah. she said this like she she was really emotional I got really emotional I know Lee got really emotional um, just because she she said I mean she talked about the miscarriages she's had in her life and how she incorporated those kids into her her, Uh, characters in the book like she just was very open about Mm -hmm. her her own life and the ways that she's been pushed out of um what she feels is is just as much her her heritage and so it was really really interesting to to um listen to her talk about Mm -hmm. that there were there were several panels where she she spoke about that and it was really great so I'm just very much on team Sonia Kamal and uh her book is called Unmarriageable yeah, there were a few. So this came out last year, uh, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, And there were a, a few different Pride and Prejudice updates last year. Yeah. All from perspectives where they were modern day adaptations, but they were from either a religious background or cultural background that still, or that um, arranged marriage or that sort of like. Uh, expectation that people would get married at a certain age or they're kind of like the family's responsibility is still very current um, as far as it wasn't like an old fashioned because I think sometimes um, when people read Jane Austen the idea that there would be that much emphasis on a family with all those daughters like needing to get them married off seems just like so out of the realm of 2020 when you're reading it but there are still I think that those updates really felt realistic. Oh, totally. Straight, even yeah. though it's a very known, well-known story, so I yeah. enjoyed. I read a few of them when they came. There it
1: was there was a whole, this whole cluster last year. that Oh I yeah, came out. I'm, I'm actually. Um, I just did a list for work of of all of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and there are a lot of them, and it's it's really cool to see because oh. it it not only opens it up to other audiences and other people's stories mm. but it's so much more um it's such a smarter take than trying to find a way for why right Elizabeth Darcy or Elizabeth right. Bennett and Darcy can't right. get together like yeah. there I mean there are lots of good Jane Austen retellings and and um you know we, bo- we both liked Eligible yeah. and I thought that did a good job with it but there's something about putting it in a culture that does have parents who are actively involved in their kids marriage prospects that that's just not something that we are as familiar with now so it it was really well done
0: there's another one that i read that i'm going to quickly see if i can identify in my goodreads because i can't remember the title but i thought it did a really nice job with it too um was it aisha at last it may have been aisha at last yes Maybe I'm looking so I I'm... think
1: you talked about that on the, on the I think I did too. that's point. what I was
0: thinking Yeah okay, so I've already talked about it. Yeah, but I really really liked that one. that was a great update of it as well. Cool. Uh, and for similar reasons is what you just described for unmarriageable. All right, so my next one is actually not what I'm reading right now because what I'm reading right now is we're going to be discussing on our next episode. So I can't talk about it now Um, (laughs) because that would just not make sense. Ruin
1: things, ruin it. So so
0: I'm going to talk about a book that I read a couple of weeks ago, um, but I just really, really loved it. And so I felt like I wanted to talk about it. And I think we've talked before a little bit about like kind of the behind the scenes of how we think about um, setting up these these podcast episodes and sometimes what we're what we are actually reading we don't talk about because we want to kind of save it for a future episode Um, but in this case I loved it so much that I was like well I can't wait (laughs) I can't wait for like the perfect (laughs) topic to come up I'm just going to discuss it this book I think it's fair to say will actually absolutely be one of my favorites of the year it is called the house in the cerulean sea by TJ Clune. it is a fantasy novel but I strongly strongly feel that you do not have to be a fantasy fan to love this one and I think I I hope I can explain why I feel that way so it's about a guy named Linus Baker he's kind of like a mid-level office drone kind of guy he just goes work gets his job done but his work is at uh, the department in charge of magical youth as a caseworker so in this world that this book is set in uh, magic is a real thing and there are governmental institutions that regulate and monitor it and um, his job is to go to orphanages where children with magical abilities live and he evaluates whether or not the orphanage meets the standards and guidelines that are set by the government um, he's very cut and dried about it he goes he observes he writes up his reports he turns them in he doesn't really think much about what happens after he files the report he doesn't spend much time thinking about these children that don't have parents he just this is his job he goes he does it if he follows the rules he also has a just generally a pretty quiet and routine life he doesn't seem to have many friends or loved ones in his life, but he also seems okay with that. Like he just does his thing. He does his routine. He goes to work every day um, wants to do a good job. And, and it's kind of a boring life, but it's a fine life. Um, and one day, uh, extremely upper management calls him in, uh, which has never, ever happened before. And he's kind of scared that he's about to get fired because it doesn't seem like a good thing when you are a worker bee to get called out by the upper echelons of the organization, Um, but they tell him that he is uniquely qualified to go and evaluate a very remote orphanage that is located on an island in the sea, Um, and they don't really give him much information at all, but they send him off with instructions that he needs to be very, very, very thorough in his responses and his updates, um, including updates about the children that are there and the caretaker, the guy who runs the orphanage. Which is a little bit unusual, he doesn't usually need to be quite so specific about, um, like, the people that are there, it's more just a general sense, like, are the kids well taken care of, that sort of thing. Um, So off he goes, he's going to be there for a month, um, and he's going to move in and observe the goings on at the orphanage. And when he arrives, it's just absolutely nothing like he expected. Um, the children are all pretty extraordinary there's one who is a garden gnome who is a little girl who is a garden gnome one is sort of an unidentified species but he looks sort of like a blob his name is chauncey his dream in life is to become a bellhop at a hotel and so he always (laughs) offers to carry bags and stuff and asks for tips and then the one who shocks linus the most is um uh, I think he's a six year old boy and he is the son of satan um and so he is uh destined to kind of take down the world in his mind, but he's also a six year old boy who's silly and and funny and and scared sometimes and he all of the kids are just our our children as well as being these kind of special magical beings. And so and then the caretaker of the orphanage is Arthur, who is very, very protective of the children uh, and wary of outsiders because outsiders have generally uh, not been very kind to these children. And he is worried that Linus is going to come and judge them and potentially cause these kids to end up in situations where people don't, don't do right by them. Um, so Arthur and the orphans kind of keep Linus at arm's length which is fine by Linus because he's just there to do his job and he's just there to observe but he pretty shortly finds himself entangled in their lives and he finds himself growing really really fond of all the residents of the island and he starts questioning what will happen to them if they aren't kept together and if they're not kept under Arthur's watch Um, so he starts questioning whether he should follow the rules and whether the guidelines are the best for these kids so it's, it's just a sweet, heartwarming story about finding your chosen family, about not judging people based on their appearances, about finding love and acceptance and your place in the world. Um, and I cannot stress enough that you don't need to be a fantasy person to still <laughs> appreciate what the story is trying to say, because there, it's, a, it's a bigger message than just a, a story about magical little kids. So that's The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune.
1: You have sold that.
0: Oh, good! It did make me cry at the end. I will warn you of that. Oh, but never mind. In a good way. <laughs> it's not cloying. It's just like a really moving, touching book. Yeah. It's not saccharin, so it's it's just so good. All right, awesome. I know.
1: Okay, so and let's go back and list off what we talked about today. Okay, I talked about the eight by Catherine Neville, "Undead and Unwed" by Mary Janice Davidson luckiest girl alive by jessica Knoll, and what i'm reading this week is unmarriageable by sonia kamal all right and
0: i talked about one to watch by kate Stain in london little secrets by jennifer hillier the idea of you by robin lee and what i was reading this week sort of but not really this week but several weeks ago is the house in the cerulean sea by tj clune if you would like to get in touch with us, you can give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic by uh, emailing us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages at Well Read Podcast. Um, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcaster provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading!